Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Kayla Trainer to the Inside the Eight podcast. Kayla is the assistant coach at Boston College on Team USA and um, uh, one of my all-time favorite players to watch, and I'm fired up to talk lacrosse with her and Colleen McGarity. How's it going, Kayla? It's good. I'm excited to get on and talk with you guys and distract me a little bit from quarantine. Something to look forward to. Totally. Um, all right, Colleen, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I'll be the first question. So this has kind of been my question the past couple of weeks, but just how were you guys in your season? Were you like just getting going? Like, was it, you know, you were peaking as a team, a big game ahead? Where were you guys at? Was it a rebuilding year? Give us a little info on how you left it before you guys had to head home. Yeah, we, um, I think for us, it was, we had a slower start to the season. We opened up our first game. We lost to UMass. And um, obviously UMass is a really good team, but I don't think we showed, you know, at all who we are. And we kind of were figuring that out with a big loss from um, the previous couple of years. You know, the team before that, they had gone to three straight championship games. So um, brand new kind of team. You know, we obviously had, you know, some returning players, but – we had some transfers in the mix. So um, kind of a new year, figuring out who we are. And um, I felt like actually, you know, every game we were getting a little bit better, a little bit closer to who we are. Um, I mean, I know Notre Dame was the second to last game before we ended. And uh, that was a really big step for us in terms of like goalkeeping, draw and defense. Uh, we just didn't put the offense together. And then our last game of the season, we played Hofstra, and we felt like we finally put it all together and kind of figured out, like, all right, this is who we are, and this is how good we can be. Um, so, you know, it, obviously that was really frustrating, but I'm, I am happy that we had that game to, you know, leave off on that note, like, you know, what could have been, you know, how – special that group was awesome and then so you obviously are coming off of like a, a dynasty of an attacking unit that graduated last year talk to us a little bit about your you know your emotion offense what does it look like how did you have to change it from losing those studs from last year um sam and dempsey and kenzie i'm john canaris founder of oxia time a watch company specializing in university branded watches before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the air gate? Well, that was me and goal that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time, we got a ring that we never wore. The second time, we got a watch that while it had great sentimental value, the quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with the design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches 
with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent. Premium watches without the premium price. Check us out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. Yeah, the, you know, we had such a great offensive unit last year and um, with Sam Apuzo, Dempsey and Kenzie and, you know, just three of the top players in the country, you know, arguably. And, um, you know, they were accompanied by Kara Urbank and Jordan Lappin and Taylor Walker and just Sheila Rotano. So they had an excellent supporting cast. So um, last year it was more of just kind of staying out of their way as a coach where, you know, this year it's more of um, kind of way more coaching um, and helping them in an offense. So last year it was a lot of um, just kind of isolating them and it's really hard to stop when you have three top threats because, you know, it's a very difficult to slide to three top players in a defense. Um, you know, you can put, you know, one of them on the front side, two of them on the back side. Then you can put two of them on the front side, one of them on the back side. Then what do you do when all three of them are on the front side? So um, it, it just was really hard to stop. And then all the supporting players were so talented. It didn't really matter. Um, this year we have, you know, similar kind of thing. I think we were just figuring it out. I mean, those guys, that unit was a really veteran group where this group is a fresh unit. So Kara Urbank returned. We moved Sheila Rotano to defense, uh, Jordan Lappin returned. Then we had a freshman starting Jen Medjid and obviously a big transfer in Charlotte North. So, um, and a bunch of freshman middies. So um, I think, you know, this year we are just a little bit more plays, um, more coaching in an offense, but I think we're starting to kind of figure it out and figure out the offensive unit. Awesome. And do you see, it was your unit more of like a dodging this year or were you like looking to set up passing plays? Are you getting it behind? Like what was your kind of style for this group? Yeah, so um, this group was more of a dodging group. I think in the past uh, teams we had, I think a lot of people would think, oh, they're top dodgers, but actually they're so – all of them were so good off-ball and such good passers. Like I would actually say Sam Apuzo is a better off-ball player than she is with the ball. So um, – and Kenzie Kent is like one of the best feeders I've ever seen, probably her and Michelle Tumalo and Hannah. And – uh, Hannah Nielsen and, um, it's right over there. (laughs) And, um, so she, I really do. I think Kenzie is in that category with those top passers. So we had, I think a little bit more of a passing offense last year where this year we have like a Charlotte North, which is more of like an off or a hold ball player with the ball. You know, she likes to carry the ball, set up the play. Um, So I think this year was a little bit more dodging. I think we kind of got into a flow of it um, when we started with dodging. And then I think as the season, you know, was going on, we were becoming better off ball. I have one more question regarding the off ball and then Jamie, I'll hand it over to you. But um, off ball is huge and it's like so hard to teach high school girls and, you know, the younger not as experienced players, how important it is. What is some sort of drill or way you guys try and, 
teach the importance of off-ball movement? Or what would you say is your go-to coaching emphasis when you talk about being off-ball? Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's really hard to teach. It's like the one thing in an offense, I feel like oftentimes you kind of forget to teach. You lay out an offense and then, you know, what do you do with those? Like a lot of offensive have people that play in the middle, like posts or whatever you call it. And oftentimes you just set them up and don't really coach them. Um, but I think like a lot of places, like it's, it's in your shooting drills. Um, we actually like talk all the time about how we could run a camp off of it. Um, just a drill in camp. But um, I think in general, there's just so much to teach, but we probably do a lot of that in shooting drills. Awesome. Very helpful. Jamie? Yeah. Um, all right. So, Kayla, you and I have, like, talked about your game quite a bit um, since Mike Boyle connected us that time, and we broke down some stuff. And I've always been a huge fan of the way you play. Um, and in particular, like, I love the way you initiate moves with uh, a move that I actually named the KT split after you. <laughs> um, and then, um, of course, your post-ups um, and your ability to fake – in those positions and feed and get shots off around your defender, whether it be, you know, screenshots or, or behind the backs. So my question is, how do you take all of this stuff that you've learned and teach it to these players? And I want you to think back to Sam and Kenzie and these incredible players on the one hand, but also with your other players that are younger and just learning. Like, how do I teach it? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, how do you teach it? What's the progression? And maybe some specifics of, oh, yeah, you know, I taught this to Sam and it really worked well, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely a kind of a challenge, or not really challenging, but you kind of, I think it's different for, I think every attacker can do it, but it's a little bit different it, when you have a, like a smaller body than a bigger body. So like the way I teach the girls who are shorter is different than the way I teach like someone who is a little bit bigger. Yeah. Um, like we had an attacker this year who's really short. She's like, I don't know, five, two, so five, three. So I'm teaching her to go under the player where, you know, I would teach a player who's a little bit taller, like Dem serves. Kenzie or Sam they're fine like this is going over or going through or lifting your arm or whatever it is um it's just a little bit different for for that and then so I guess for normally how I would teach it is like reading the defender feeling the defender um like the easiest thing to teach I think is like how are their hands set like are they coming across your body to defend you or are they keeping them on your backside you know, if you're a righty and you have a righty defender on you, you know you have a good chance of beating them over top, even if you can just shoot around them and not beat them. Uh, it's a little bit different for a lefty because they're usually playing against a righty defender. Or what that looks like if you're a righty and you have a lefty defender on you. So it always kind of changes, but the, I think the easy one to start with is, like, the hands. How are they playing you? Um, and then, you know, talking about – specifically like my game and what helped me was um and I learned it from coach gate was like leaning in and being willing to shoot it behind the back if they overplay your stick side so much um 
and once you have a behind the back, I mean, it, it, it's, you really, it's really hard to defend because either way you play me, you're giving up something. So like, if you legit play me, like I might shoot a behind the back, well, then I know I can beat you over top. And if you try to take away my over top, well, then I know I have a behind the back. And, um, so that's really helpful. But even if you don't, it's like teaching the fake for a rocker, a roll, a fake behind the back, and then going over top. Um, and then another little thing that I've been working on is kind of more like boys lacrosse, but um, reading the top hand of the defender and where it's being placed. So if it's, you know, if it's like under your elbow or over your elbow, um, if it's over your elbow, you know, with two hands on your stick, you can lift your right, your forward elbow to try to get in. If it's a little bit below, you can punch out with your bottom hand to go over top. So just like little things like that. Um, I don't really have a specific sequence in how to teach it. It's more of just what the player can do. And then you try to figure out a little sequence for them. So if they can't, if they are really overhand and they can't really shoot around a defender role, well, it's going to be a lot different than a player that can shoot around. Sure. It's so interesting too. And it's so important to be able to get your shot off. I mean, you know, at the level you guys are at, the one-on-one the, the -on -one defenders are going to run with you. You know, you're not just going to break ankles every time you dodge, but right. you will be able to get, you know, inside the eight to an angle where you could get a shot off and understanding that when you're that close and you can either shoot a screenshot around them or shoot your behind the back if they're overplaying that is, you know, is a huge concept that a lot of kids growing up don't get because they feel like they have to beat their man by like three yards to shoot. Yeah. And I used to think that too. And I used to be able to do that. <laughs> and now, you know, my game's changing because I can't break down, you know, I can't dust Megan Dowdy or Alice Mercer anymore. You know, like I actually have to really work to get a shot off. So um, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's, it's helped my game a lot and made me like able to still play at a high level amongst really high level athletes by learning and continuing to work on my post-up game. I love how you dodge and use your stop and goes and rollbacks behind the net. And I noticed that you guys at BC are, are really good at that as well um, with, with rollbacks and finalizers and all kinds of hesitations. I just, can you talk about that a little bit as far as your philosophy on that as a player and, and, and also how you might you know, translate that to, to the players? Yeah, I think that kind of started, I mean, obviously we taught our players to, you know, go from X and that was a part of our offense. But two years ago in the, or three years ago now, I don't know, it was the final four at Stony Brook and we played Maryland and we beat them. And That's um, what I was thinking of that game. Yeah. Like put one behind and six out top and they didn't slide and you guys scored a lot of goals. Yeah, so um, – we played a lot that year of a two behind offense and watching film um, from Maryland throughout the year. I just was watching film and I was just, Maryland obviously is such a dynasty and so, so good. And they have very little weakness, but I felt from watching a lot of film that they're really weak one v one, one defender behind and slow to slide. And 
I actually thought Navy did an excellent job of going one behind and, you know, beating their girl. Um, and kind of like you're saying, not just one move and you're in there for a wide open shot, but working, working your defender behind to get, you know, one step in or goal line shots. And um, so that was kind of our philosophy in, you know, going into Maryland, we were just going to isolate behind. And once Sam scored, uh, Dempsey, you were up next. Once Dempsey scored, Kayleen, you're up next or Kara. And um, yeah, they had a difficult time stopping that. And we went over, I remember actually in that final four, the practice, we practiced at Hofstra and um, just going over with, you know, the players that were going to go behind. I remember Acacia was like, just take him for 20 minutes. And we just were reviewing all the different little moves and nuances from behind the net that they can use in the game. Um, and actually something else too, this is kind of off topic, but I remember thinking, telling them how, um, I think one of the things Maryland, there's such great one V one defenders and, I think a lot of players throughout a whole season can maybe go. And I remember it kind of happening to me as a player is, you know, you can break down just like you were talking about and dust defenders all year. But when you play Maryland, you really have to work yeah. for a good move and you might not beat them completely. And I remember talking to them about how, and they had played, this was my first year coaching at BC and they had played Maryland before in the championship game and unfortunately lost. And, we kind of talked about how that feeling of your first dodge, you're not going to score. You might not beat your girl. And they always have a big crowd and they all go crazy over the defense. And, you know, I think that helped um, them as a player, like that mental piece of you might not beat them. You've really got to work them behind. It's multiple moves going lateral behind to try to get them and then go. And, you know, earlier in the game, you know, that was one of Sam Apuzo's best games of her career. And if you watch earlier in the game, it took her a while to get going. You know, she got stuffed on a shot and, you know, just little different things. But eventually, you know, it, it wears down and they got great looks from behind. So my last comment before I turn it over to Colleen is um, in high school, club and in high school, that they don't girls on defense are not allowed to cut through the crease. So therefore, you don't see as much pressure in man-to-man -man defense behind the net. And I feel like uh, it's a disadvantage developmentally. And I'm wondering if you think, you know, what your uh, advice would be to high school coaches and kids that um, don't get to dodge that way because basically because they pick you up at the goal line most of the time and um, in man-to-man -man anyways and wanted to get your opinion on that, um, what you would recommend to high school coaches and players. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, so in um, – my college career, my freshman year, they couldn't run in the crease. And then after that, they could. And I actually think that experience helped me so much as a crease attacker because a lot of the uh, – like when a defender can play you behind, it's a lot of dodging. And you, you – I think that's taught a lot in high school and club. You know, they teach dodging. And you're basically taking all those dodging moves – same thing behind, you're running full speed, whatever move it is, but it might be some combo dodges, you might be doing another one. But I think one of the things that helped me so much of, um, and also international play was always like this, you can't run through the crease. I think it's still like that actually, but it helped me a lot because it's, it's basically the same thing when you're playing a zone. 
So it teaches you how to play on the crease as a Dodger against a zone or a man if they play you like that. So it's actually a great tool, um, a teaching tool that is like, it's really, 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 I think this is the hardest um, skill to learn for a player playing behind, which is like, um, you know, basically the defender, they can't, they can't just stand in the middle. So they're always picking a side. So they're, and the ball, when the ball's up top, they're looking up, they're not looking at you. It's really hard to see both. So you can always work on manipulating a defender if they stay or if they go or, you know, and working with another player, attacking a 2v1. Um, So it's really helpful when they do that because it basically teaches you how to play against a zone or how to play against the defense. It just plays you at the goal line. Um, And then I think one of the best suggestions I have would be when a defender plays you at the goal line, Um, something I always tell our players, I'm sure you guys too, but if you can beat your defender underneath when you're playing on the crease, it's like basically impossible to stop. If you can really beat your defender underneath, because if you slide across crease, then you just pass across the crease to your other attacker. If they slide down, well, you're just sliding down to my back still. So my hands are still free. So when they play you at the goal line, if you can pull them up and beat them underneath, I think that's like the most incredible tool to have as a crease player. And then if you can't beat them underneath, I think it's, you know, can you beat them over top, run over tight over top or a post-up move, Um, which I think are all a little bit harder to learn than just straight up one V one dodging behind. So um, if they can teach that in high school and that, you know, if you can come to college with that knowledge, that's really helpful. Awesome. Thank you. No, I agree with you. That's huge. Just as a defender, like at Northwestern, obviously we would always pressure behind and mm-hmm. we would slide across crease when you couldn't go through the crease. Very few defenders were good at it. So it's very yeah. easy to like beat if you have that knowledge and that type of IQ where it's really hard to get good at crease defense. Yeah. No matter if you can run through it or not. It's just exactly. Yeah. Well, also too, like if you slide cross crease, you might be on, but the girl on the elbow is always late. Mm-hmm. Always. She's like even if you, yeah, if you, like her back is to her slide. Yeah. So it's so hard to slide there. Mm-hmm. And like rarely, even if you know exactly what they're doing, are you on time? Like, yeah. Rarely. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's huge. And I just think attackers need to know how hard it is to defend. So like, yeah, you might yeah. not make the correct play, but usually it's your fault. You you took a bad angle shot or you didn't make the correct pass, not the right. defender causing a turnover. Yeah, totally. Um, and I wanted to go back to one other comment that you mentioned about coaching your girls to their body size, which is huge because I have a lot of really tiny girls or, you know, really big girls. And a lot of times my little tiny ones like want to do moves that I'm like, it's just not you. Don't try and yeah. be someone that you're not like your speed and your quickness and smallness can work to your advantage. Totally. Um, so I think a lot of times you get told by parents or other people like do this, what this player is doing. Right. And I was like, no, don't do that. Like you can, yeah. actually, you can actually become smaller and it's even harder for me to defend you. Totally. Um, like I remember one-on-ones in college, like the hardest people to defend sometimes were the really tiny little ones that like will totally. go underneath you. 
your sticks like at their neck. Yeah, you're like, oh, I got you every time. <laughs> um, but no, I think that's a really good point just for the high school girls and club girls. Just like, don't try and be someone you're not. Like there's a move yeah. and, you know, a, a set of skills specific for your body size or body type. Yeah, um, totally. I actually learned a lot from, I talk about her a lot, but I don't even know her, but Gianna Bowie from Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like I've really studied her game as much as I can to be able to teach my, because I think she mastered how to be dominant with such a small body and still how to be play really physical. So like I, you know, it's hard to give her props because we play against her, but I've totally, I have really studied her game to try to help, you know, the players that I coach how to like master playing physical or using your size to your advantage yeah for sure it's huge I love watching her play because she's just so yeah. like spunky small there's another girl in Florida that's super small too forget yeah, the name. Kittle twins yeah. Yeah. sisters a goalie yeah yeah they're fun to watch but it's just I think it's really important like Jamie and I talk about there's no answer to lacrosse there's no like you don't need to be this way and that's the only way you need to score there's so many different players that can score so many different types of players different sizes which is the fun part about lacrosse totally um wanted to move on to a question just about midfielders we actually had um someone ask uh if we can incorporate this into the podcast just what do you guys do you guys run two to three lines do you run a lot of attack middies d middies do you run just straight middies what's kind of the way bc lacrosse does it um i know it's an ever-changing type of um concept at northwestern we were kind of one of the first at that time to run a couple lines. And then when I was at Colorado, we coached a lot of A midi, B midi. So what do you guys do at um, BC? Yeah. Um, we basically just do it on whatever we have. Like we don't really have a philosophy of this way or this way. A lot of teams do. Like I know at Syracuse, we ran multiple lines, like we get a 50 person roster. So we'd have five lines of midfield. We probably run two to three a game, all game long. So I think, but for us at BC, it's just, we've had smaller rosters, but it changes every year. I mean, one of the things that we still do, that's kind of like an old school lacrosse, like philosophy, but um, I hate to say back in the day, but like <laughs> a Katie Schwartzman, they ran midfield all day long. Kayla McFadden, they ran midfield all day long. You don't come off. Kara Canizero, whoever it was. And you know, with the shot clock that basically all change. So you either run lines and midfields, O mids, D mids, but rarely a midi stays on. And we were fortunate that we coached like a Dempsey arsenal and she doesn't come off the field. So if she ever needed a breather, which was like never, which is very rare, but she was left on defense. Crazy. Uh, what'd you say? It's crazy. crazy. Yeah. She didn't, she never, like she wouldn't get a, arrest she would never come off the field not once um so like when you have a player like that like we just let her run where I think a lot of coaches are like if you if you run lines you run lines or whatever it is but we just we kind of use whatever we have and then so like this year we were running two lines in midfield in the past we only ran one line and then we'd run two omids demids with Dempsey for the second line so it's kind of whatever we have we're going to use like for us, it's less about that. It's more about the best players are going to play. So if you're one of the best players, we're going to figure out some way for you to be on the field. So if that's moving somebody to attack or defense so we can get an, another midi on the field or 
whatever it is, we just want our best players to be on the field. On the same topic, you know, in men's across, everybody wants to have two-way middies because that allows you to, you know, cut down, cut down on transition opportunities for your opponent, create transition opportunities for yourself. It allows you to ride. Mm -hmm. um, but what usually happens is everyone goes into the year saying, we're going to have, we're going to be two ways. And then they're like, you know what, screw it. I need to get de defensive players in there that know what the heck we're doing. And it really does yeah. come down to efficiencies on both sides of the ball. And I was just curious how you guys sort of view those issues as you're start, starting to look at this from more of a big picture than specific perspective. If you run two-way middies, you can ride, you can get back on defense, you can push transition. If you run D middies and, and, and O middies, then you're going to be subbing when you could be right. riding and you're going to give up some transition that way. And you might not get as much transition yourself going the other way, um, but you'll play better uh, six, seven on seven offense and better seven on seven defense. Cause you're going to have, you know, because the, the minis that have to run two ways are just not going to be as good at defense as the ones that, you know, as far as knowing the scheme, they're going to not get as many reps on it. Cause they got to get reps on both sides of the ball. Yeah. So for us, like, I know a lot of teams, like when we play Ivy League teams, they run a lot to the box. Like they'll run two O-mids, D-mids. For us, we'll do it. I mean, actually, I think like three years ago, we had three, but we realistically kind of want one, one O-mid, D-mid if we're going to do it. Because we, like for us, we, we have a lot of middies. Like we recruit a lot of middies. So in general, we don't want to give up transition and we want to play at a faster pace. So we run a lot of minis. So if we need to get a better defender on the field, like we'll run one, but in general, we really want to run a lot of minis. Um, kind of like Acacia's philosophy, Jen's philosophy is like, they like to play at a higher tempo. They don't like to give up a lot in transition. Yeah. Um, so we do, we run a lot of middies, especially now, like right now there's like, I, it might be just be the way we recruited, but we have a ton of midfielders in our future recruiting classes and they'll pro some of them will probably change positions, like move to attack or defense or whatever it may be. But like in general, we, I think as an ACC school to be really competitive, you have to run midfielders. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of like, I think, our philosophy playing in the ACC. Yeah, I can see it. The only, the only question I have is, um, last question on this topic is, do you see teams that are like really heavy zone teams that it really is important for them to know the details of this zone and it's not necessarily that easy to do um, as opposed to just being an athlete and being hard to beat? Um, do you see more D-middies from those types of programs? Um, yeah, I think so. But like a USC, like they have a bunch of really good two way middies. So, yeah. and their middies are really good in the zone. So, um, I think it depends, you know, I think in the past they ran more D middies, but like the past couple of years, they have excellent two way middies. So I think it depends. I think Stony Brook, they've had really good two way middies again, but you know, in general, they run a little bit more. I think they run a little bit more, um, D mids. Like for us, example, like when we moved to a zone halfway through this year, we we ran a D mid where before we were running two lines of just middies. So um, I agree when it comes to a zone, but 
yes. I mean, it depends kind of like your philosophy. Um, like at Syracuse, we ran a lot of D middies because of the zone. Right. But even in a zone, you kind of have to play 1v1 defense. So, like, we try to make whatever it is, our zone, our man, our best defenders are on the field, whether it's a man or a zone. Like, for us, it really – I think our biggest thing is just we want to play the best players. Yep. Makes sense. That kind of helps me lead into the, the next question about your defense. So, you guys typically are man-to-man. Did you incorporate a zone this year? Did you play zone previous years? and didn't really pay attention to exactly what you guys were playing, but what's your main defensive philosophy? Um, we, we've, we've ran man-to-man the past couple of years. Um, we've had a zone in, in the past couple of years. We actually, like, when we played Carolina at home, we opened up and start – this was two years ago. Um, we opened up and we played like the first 15 minutes in a zone. So we would do things like that just to kind of throw off teams, but we never really ran our zone for the past three, four years. And then this year, same thing. We were a man to man team. And then, um, you know, like I said, we were trying to like find our identity all, all season. And, um, we moved to a zone when we played Notre Dame and our defense was like lights out and, we would go back and forth in possessions, but majority of the game, we played a zone. We ended a lot of the second half in a man-to-man, but um, we moved to a zone. And same thing against Hofstra. We played a little bit of zone and man. So um, we became more of a, uh, a zone team, but we only had two games of it. So mm-hmm. I think if the season progressed, I think we would have, you definitely would have seen us playing more zone than we ever have. But, um, you know, obviously the season got cut short. Right. And is your zone um, emulate more of like Syracuse's, like high, high pressure, or was it more low pressure, you know, like a 2-3 in basketball, or was it more like on-ball pressure with those people hedging? Yeah, no, it wasn't like Syracuse. It was more of, um, I would say, uh, kind of like similar to – like a Stony Brook, uh, no, I would not say that. I would say like a USC, but more um, movement. So like right. they'll pa- they pass off early. Like we would we would go through with a player and shift the zone. So um, it's a little bit different, but uh, it definitely was not like a high pressure, um, like a backer high pressure zone. It was more of like uh, packed in, but a little bit more of like a man concept than a lot of other zones. And then when you went to your man, were you more all out pressure everywhere or was it more like pressure around the, you know, in between the eight and the 12 or was it beyond the 12? Eight and the 12. Okay. James, do you have questions on that? Yeah. I love the concept that you mentioned about how it was a little bit more like man where you follow a cutter and shift the zone. Can you uh, just uh, elaborate a little bit on that so that people listening can understand what you meant? And so everyone like does it differently or calls it different things, but whether you say it's a four, one, two, or like a two, 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 whatever you call it. Right. Um, it was that sort of formation, but up top in our zone, um, you, you would follow a cutter through and then the zone would bump. So like you wouldn't, you wouldn't just take a step in and pass off to the rover. You would actually kind of follow her through. And then if the ball was in your side, you would pass to the rover and you would play the ball. So it's just kind of like a, a blend between a zone and a man. Um, it is a zone defense, but it 
is a little bit more like a man than um, a little bit more principles of a man than a typical zone. So um, if you're on the ball or adjacent to the ball, you'd stay there and pass off. But if you were backside, you'd follow a cutter in and then let the zone fill in behind you. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it just depends on the play and how many are on ball and off ball and where they're set up. So it's so situational, yeah. but you know, if there's somebody on the ball and next to the ball and my girl cuts, you can take her with you. Like similar like that to a man. Yeah. Um, and then the zone would bump and you could just go to the backside of that zone. Um, you know, same thing if you're off ball and the Rover was right there, you could pass. But if there's not, you know, she's on ball or whatever it may be, or she's down on the crease, you can carry her through. You wouldn't just leave a cutter there when the rover is down on the crease. So right. it's really situational. Like there's no set rule, yeah. but a lot of the answers for the players came from what would you do in a man? You know? Yeah. So cool. I love that idea. It's really cool. Cause it's, it is a little unnerving when you pass somebody off to nobody. <laughs> right. And that's all like, that's, um, Jen Kent is our defensive coordinator. So she, she was running that defense for us. So it was awesome. No, I think that's oh. really helpful. Cause it seems like it gets the answers to where zones break down. Zones yeah. break down when you hand someone off to nobody and there's right. lack of communication. Right. Especially um, if you want to run a zone with ball pressure. For sure. Yeah. So um, while we're on the topic of zone, can you talk a little bit about your philosophies on zone offense? Yeah, um, I, I guess like overall zone offensive philosophies, like probably similar to so many people, but um, being patient. So like it, when you're playing against a zone, usually they get set up pretty quickly. If you can go in transition against them, that's great before they're set up, but a lot of times they're set up. So being patient and getting the right look, not the first look, um uh ball movement ball movement beats a zone um so ball movement patience and then i think something that's not really talked about that much um but dodging against the zone i think is really effective too so when you have an offense where so basically our, our offense is like we either do like a really heavy ball movement offense or a heavy foot movement offense with lots of players cutting through and moving, shifting in and out of the zone. Um, but either one, I think it's important to, to dodge against the zone as well. Like you can't just move the ball and then expect something to be wide open. So uh, we like to talk about dodging in vulnerable areas of the zone um, and also like how to dodge it against the zone. Like, is it driving up and looking to pass back or whatever it may be. But I think it's important to, to dodge against the zone. Um, but in general, like I said, I think it's patience, ball movement, foot movement, um, and those general concepts. And then kind of, if you have those and whatever your formation is, hopefully you can be successful. Interesting. It's um, a lot of people play zones against heavy dodging teams. Right. Um, but it's important to dodge against the zone. And the dodging is different because it's not just totally. you know, long dodging. It's pure speed dodging. You can't just dodge with all that speed because you're going to run right into the next zone and it's going to make it easier for them to pass you off. 
and it's a little bit counterintuitive, but you have to slow down and play in that gray area and be able to use hesitations and fakes and actually slower sort of uh, more almost like intelligent type of dodging. Totally. Um, yeah, it's not like 1v1 isolation, cut through dodging. It's like, how do you catch and dodge in this ball movement offense? And where is, you know, where is there a gap in the zone that, you know, maybe you could make a quick move and post up or, you know, whatever it is. Or I actually find a lot of zones that we go against that are packed in. Um, you, the only action coming from the center up top is cuts. So we actually like to dodge and slip on that part of the zone because like I, I've just found when you watch all these offenses go like go against zones, there's no action right at the top in the center. So those guys just become basically they play on ball up when the ball's up top and when the ball's behind, all they're doing is sinking in and playing all the cutters. So it's so hard to find a cutter when you have the ball behind and you're looking for a cut into the middle, which you know, as we all know, is the best pass to get in for a shot. You know, you're facing the cage. You probably rep it a million times. So I like to dodge on that little area. Even if you don't pass it, I like to make those defenders actually have to play you, either in a 1v1 or in a two-man, whatever it is, just so that they have to work. You know, I think in a lot of offenses, it's the side against the zone. It's yeah. the sides and it's the crease and cuts down. So um, we like to dodge to the middle, make it look like a legitimate threat, maybe slip, whatever I was saying, and then move the ball. And then hopefully you can get better looks against the zone. Totally. And then the, the elbow then has to rotate to you. And now it's real problems because now a low player has to come up and you've got great opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I kind of feel like too off that type of ball movement that you're talking about, there is great sort of like slashing type of dodge that occur when you've uh, drawn a double and, and made a couple of passes that some of the really good dodging you will see against zones are off that where now you can, you can just run right through and it's hard for a backer or anybody to like actually, because they're approaching you and they're not mm -hmm. set, you know? Yeah. We actually like something too that like kind of what we believe in is a lot of our plays against a man where there's like heavy action um, on, on ball, where like if there's a sliding in the zone still, basic concept, and then you're moving the ball to the backside, like really simple across, like oftentimes you can dodge, if you're a really good dodger, but kind of like what you're talking, those slashing dodges work against the zone as well. So um, just kind of like what you're saying, we might set that up in a play, but it might be a man-to-man -man play for us, but a lot of times – that's how we'll get kind of a dodging look against the zone is by running a play with like a lot of high action on the ball, hopefully getting slides, hopefully shifting the zone really hard to the front side. And then we move the ball, hope, hoping to get one of those um, dodging looks that you were just talking about. Colleen? Yeah, no, I wanted to add on that. It's huge. I think just the end play of that man to man look against the zone that Dodger just has to be ready to, act so much faster in like a slashing motion more than like you can't you can't square up and get your defender ready as you would maybe in a man-to-man -man play which I think is huge for the you know your players just to realize the difference of how they need to approach that backside look 
Yeah, that's why I said like a really good Dodger, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work, but if you have a really good Dodger, you know, like kind of like what you're talking about, you you can't set it up, you can't run in full speed with 10 yards, you know, like you you're in there and it's a quick move and if you can beat him, you're in. Um yeah. but like like you said, like you you're you gotta be like a legit Dodger, like Nizzy Skane, mm-hmm. Emily Harris Chuck, yeah. whoever it is, Dempsey Arsenal, like they can dodge in a zone. Um, and that's quick first it, Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Jamie, do you have any more uh, questions just tactical-wise? Uh, no. Um, Kayla, I'm going to end with a <laughs> question. Just uh, some advice out to the 22s, 21s that are still unrecruited out there, what to be doing in this time when they don't have much access, you know, and their yeah. future is a little bit unknown in the summer. So what do you think? Yeah, they do now? It's hard. I feel like the reality of that is like a lot of 22s are probably panicking. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's so much unknown, especially if summer lacrosse doesn't really happen, uh, which who knows, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but um, <laughs> it's, it's unknown. Think, yeah. yeah, it's unknown. <laughs> um, but, you know, on that same token, like if that happens, as much as the 22s will be nervous, like, so will the coaches. So mm-hmm. you'd be nervous because they might not have seen you play. But for us, like, we might not have seen you play. So, um, you know, I think that if, if for that re- – like, summer lacrosse, for some reason, gets – I mean, we know the reason. <laughs> if yeah. for some reason summer lacrosse doesn't happen, I could see the recruiting being pushed back a little bit. So like fall tournaments being so much more important than like last year where you had so much time and all summer to watch these players. Um, so I would say don't panic because you're, you know, the 22s, your situation will be the same for us. And same thing with the 21s who are uncommitted. But um, I think the biggest thing is when camps do come back, whatever you're interested in, like school wise, go to that camp. Um, I think that's like the biggest thing you can do to help yourself. I mean, right now you can stay in contact with the coaches, you can send film, you can be in the, you know, emailing them. But when this all comes back, whether it's summer camp or winter camp or a fall prospect day, if you, you know, if you can get there, I would say, you know, go to that camp and, um, and you know, that would be my best advice for the coaches. We get to see you play. And, you know, for multiple days and drills and games, everything. And then for the kid, like the players, you can, you can get to know the coaches and the teammates in the school and um, the campus. And you can decide too, if you, if it's a fit and you like it. So that would probably be my best suggestion. And then for right now, during all this, it's just, you know, uh, you know, I think it's about like, if you can be active and get outside and play lacrosse and, um, work out, all those things are important, but just have fun and, you know, don't make this a job right now. You know, I think, you know, if your family's healthy and you're fortunate to be home, then just, you know, enjoy it, have fun, play basketball, play soccer, whatever it is, just, you know, play and, you know, we're all in this situation together, you know, so. Yeah, I think you made some great points. I just think control what you can control, like you said, make the best of it, you know, don't freak out, relax. It'll all work out. And I, that's what I've been saying to my girls, just, you know, we're all in this together. It's not like some kids are getting ahead and some right. aren't. 
everyone's in this together. So we're exactly. going to get better. You can make the best of your own situation in any way you can. And yeah, get to camps. I've been to a bunch of BC camps. I feel like I've, yeah. <laughs> I go there, I learned from you guys. You guys have great camps. So all those listening, get out to the BC camps. The 3v3, is that 3v3 still tournament? Yeah, we have a 3v3 tournament. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Been there, watched it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. You have any more questions? Uh, yeah, one question about recruiting. I've heard some people say that, oh, well, since you don't have any high school film, send film of your backyard workouts. And I was curious to get your opinion on that. Is that something that you think you'd watch? Um, <laughs> you know, maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of downtime, so maybe <laughs> if I happen to click on it. but In the least bit, it might catch your eye. So you might be like, yeah. hey. That yeah. kid sent me a backyard workout. I know who that is. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's really going to tell me if you can play at Boston College, but I mean, maybe it's, you know, you, yeah, maybe it's interesting. I don't know. Send it. I mean, there's nothing, if we don't see it, we don't see it. But if we see it, good for you. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Like, you know, we get so many, we get thousands of emails from kids. So it's really hard to see everyone, but. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff people send, so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be yeah, that different. Sure. That, that's kind of what I figured, too. I mean, if you're going to do it, you better be creative, because if you're just going to show me a wall ball, yeah. that's going to take right. about one bounce off the wall before I, like, move on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> Make them remember you. Even if it's, like, quirky, Yeah, you can be like, oh, I remember that kid. They had a weird yeah, sign-off. I do, like, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to remember people's sign-offs or slogans. I'm like, that kid used to have a really interesting slogan that said, like, <laughs> Go bananas or something like bizarre. Yeah, I know. I actually just did see one that was really creative. A commit of ours. She like set up a, I don't even know what it was like a target with an X through it, and they were shooting. And I don't, I don't know. It was interesting. So yeah. that caught my eye. Cool. There it is. Be creative. Um, Kayla, thank you so much for taking the time and talking lacrosse with us. Um, it was awesome to hear your insights and um, experiences um, and advice. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I want to make sure that the coaches and parents who are listening know about the JM3 content resources. I've created the deepest and most comprehensive digital content for coaches and players that can be found anywhere on the internet. If you're a coach and you want to engage your staff and your team, if you're a parent and you need a plan for your kids, check out the seven-day free trial at jm3sports.com slash free trial. I think you'll love it, and it's a great solution.